Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 141 of Yogaland. We are circling back to our beginner series for just one more episode. Today is a live episode at Love Story Yoga with Jason's teacher trainees as our audience. And we answer questions that came in through Instagram regarding beginners and just teaching beginners and questions that came up for people after listening to the series of podcasts we did the last month or so about teaching beginners. So enjoy the episode. If you love the podcast, please leave a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Imagine us in our daughter's room. This is <laughs> what it is. Hi, Jason. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. You have gone through, we're at the end of week one. We're at Love Story Yoga in San Francisco yep. coming to you live. And you're at the end of which module is this? This is the first module in this year's San Francisco training. So mostly focusing on stuff having to do from the feet all the way to the hip joint. Okay. Yeah. So we're at the midway point of the first module and we're live. And there's a big group of people here. There's a really They're nice really awesome looking group, group here. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen them yet. I've been looking at the floor. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to laugh on occasion. Don't be shy. That. Don't be shy. Well, today we are going to follow up on the beginner series that we did. Yes. And um, we asked our audience if they had any follow-up questions. And a lot of follow-up questions, good follow-up questions came in. So we're going to go through as many as we can. Yeah. So if anyone hasn't been listening to the Begin Again series, we've had four, well, we had one, you had an episode with Tia's in the middle, but we've done, recently we've done four episodes on beginners. And that's been in concert with the launch of my The Art of Teaching Beginners course on glow.com. And we have those questions from yeah. the listeners. I want to just mention quickly, one of the questions that came in was, would you do a podcast about the sequencing course? <laughs> I was like, well, I guess this. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay. I would do that. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. There's a sequencing question in here, though. Yes. That we'll get to. Okay. So the first question is from Jennifer Kurdla. She says, I wonder if you have guidance on what to do for students who consistently take beginner classes. Eventually, they seem ready to add more to their practice. So is it a matter of gently suggesting or giving personal options in a group class setting? Okay. I'm going to tell like, a story. Kick them out, out the door. I'm going to tell a story. So in maybe 2001, maybe 2000, I, I think it was 2000 to about 2005-ish, I assisted Rodney Yee's beginner's class on Wednesday morning at Piedmont Yoga Studio. It's 9.30 to 11.30 every Wednesday. And there was a student and he was there every week and he was, he was probably in his forties or fifties and he had a really nice practice. And one day, coincidentally, I ran into him on the train coming to class and I was talking to him for a while and I said, you know, I've been assisting this class for at least a year now and you've been in the same place the entire time. You've never missed, you haven't missed a class. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm really consistent. And I said, how long have you been coming to this class? And he said, 17 years. <laughs> wow. 17 years. worked for him. Exactly. So yeah. that's the point. Yeah. Is things don't have to be harder. If this isn't some in perpetuity, let's make it, in, let's make it harder 
and then scale up and then make it harder and then scale up. You know, we can do it that way. You can decide like, I'm going to learn to one, run one mile and then two miles and then three miles. And, but at some point you're just like, no, this is how much I actually like. Mm -hmm. And I like this community. I like this intensity. I like this pace. I like this teacher. I like this time. That's more valuable than thinking, oh, because I can do this now, I should do that then, right? So if, if someone came to you and said, you know, I think I'd like to add more and go to a more challenging class, that's one thing. But if someone consistently returns to your class, even if it's a beginner's level class, that isn't an indication that they need to do something different. That's an indication that they've sorted something that works well for them. That's really, that's such a sweet story. Yeah. I still, I can remember this person vividly. I mean, that's amazing. I know, I'm sure they wouldn't mind using their name, but I, I'm yeah. not going to, but yeah. Was he, it was a guy. It was a guy. Was he like a middle-aged guy at the time? Totally middle-aged uh -huh. guy, yeah. just doing his yoga gig. Yeah. And he was also, he was also commuting from it because the, the train that we were on was from San Francisco to Oakland. So it, he was coming from San Francisco and he didn't take any of other Rod, uh, Rodney's other classes because I took those classes as a student yeah. and I assisted the Wednesday class. And I never saw him in his advanced classes, but he was stoked, man. Yeah. You know, that's it was awesome. the right, it was the right setting. So that's my answer. Okay. Yeah. All right. Meryl the Hag, which is a funny name, but it's an Instagram name, obviously. I guess. She asks, how do you find the right balance in between assisting beginners and overwhelming them with too much assist verbal and physical? What would be also, what would be the top five to 10 assists for beginners? Okay, so I'm going to give you the top 10 assists for beginners, which is give them a yoga block and teach them how to use it. That's one through 10. <laughs> Literally, that's one through 10. So, you know, there's something, you know, especially in this group that we're working with here, which is I have an extremely different approach that I'm in the process of systematizing to manual adjustments that's remarkably different than the way manual adjustments have typically been done. So I'll just also say that I don't, with beginners, really do manual adjustments, but I can see a situation of doing manual cues. So I would never do like an intensification adjustment for a beginner under any circumstance. But if, someone's, if someone was in warrior two and their back arm was six inches lower than their front arm and I was next to them, I might take their arm and help raise them up. So I don't really have a five to 10 thing. I would say just use your eyes, do not do intensification adjustments and really focus primarily on making sure that their stress and their posture is well distributed and that they have as much support as they need. Now, whether it's a manual cue or a verbal cue, how many is enough? How much is too much? This can be a tough one. So I think about three per class. So I'm going to say this, like, let's say you're in my class and you're brand new and I genuinely want to help you. I have to also be sensitive to the fact that I want to help you. And yet at the same time, you probably don't want to have, if you're new to something, a spotlight focused on you the whole time. 
So whether it's a manual cue or a verbal cue, I might give you three specific things, right? But not more than that in any given class. It, now that's a, that's a, I'm just picking a number, but that's about the right number for me. On one of the podcasts, Susanna Friedman said that Rusty used to, Rusty Wells used to call, well, he probably still is, blocks, rectangles of hope. Rectangles of hope, yeah. <laughs> you remember when we were, I, don't, I mean, of course you remember Lulu Bandas in Ojai and yeah. Kira, right? Yeah. So at that studio, they had on the side of every block, the word help written. Really? And it was like, Kira would just be like, go get some help. You need some help. Yeah. You know, and, and so we, we, we should, we need to model this. Like I still use props all the time because I'm smart enough to use tools that help make my experience more safe, more sound, more efficient in the end. Like yeah. tools actually just help us do things with greater skill and efficiency. So we want to model that early on, but a couple of individualized pieces of attention is probably enough or else you kind of enter the complicated territory of group psychology and maybe providing someone with too much information and making them a little uptight. And then everyone else is like, why does he lavish all the attention on that person? Yeah. Yeah. Like that person is like, oh my God, I'm terrible. <laughs> and then everyone else in his class is like, oh my God, why is that person getting all the attention? Yeah. You know, so we have to be sensitive to that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We are just zipping through Zip these. Zip through. Okay. We start making this podcast six minutes. See, <laughs> see goods for. Would love some more info on how to teach breathing to beginners. I teach to in the military and find they often seem self-conscious creating audible and deeper ujjayi breath. Yeah. So it's uh, just to acknowledge it. This is hard. Like this is a very difficult thing. There's, there's no way to make this not difficult, especially socially, because when you're doing ujjayi breath, right? When you're teaching ujjayi breath, you're doing something that is antithetical to what any like normal social person wants in a social situation, which is to have other people hear you breathe. It's just, that's just how it is. So you just have to, I would say, speak to it. And when I'm specifically trying to teach new students ujjayi breath, which I talk a lot about in this course, I have them pretend that they're fogging a mirror, right? Like a compact mirror and hold it close to their face and make that sound. And I just tell people, I just say, you guys, this is socially really awkward what we're going to do for a little bit, but get used to it. We're doing yoga. We're going to do some weird stuff. You know, like it's just, it's just part, it's just part of what we're doing here. I'm not asking you, you know, while you're having a burrito with your friend to do ujjayi breath. This yeah. is a, a situation that we're working. <laughs> so to acknowledge that it's awkward, take some of the awkwardness out of it. And then the other thing to do is we have to segment it. So it has to be its own specific thing that we're teaching because there's technique to it. And if you're trying to do too many different things, you won't develop correct technique. So if I'm trying to teach you the actions of warrior two while having you move in rhythm, then it's going to also be difficult for me to teach you how to breathe properly. So when you're working with beginners, it's really nice to have breathing segments either at the beginning or the end or both. Mm -hmm 
where you just literally teach the basic mechanism of Ujjayi breath. You can also do just simple breathing exercises with like recline things with a blanket roll. So there's various individual techniques, but we need to make it a segment like we make standing poses a segment, like we make meditation a segment, like we make shavasana a segment. We can't just stuff it into everything else at that level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just too hard. I don't like to do it. Really? Yeah, because again, it's, it's, it's so important. Yeah. But when you're working with beginners, and here's the thing, beginners know how to do ujjayi breath. I explain this to them, like everyone in this room knows how to do ujjayi breath because you all know how to whisper. Right, right, right. And if you know how to whisper and go, <laughs> you know how to do ujjayi breath. <laughs> So it's not like, it, it's not something that's actually difficult no. to do. Yeah. It's within everyone's existing capacity. It's just that you have the social thing and then you just have to kind of sell the value of it. I feel like I'm an anom anomalous beginner because I was, it never felt awkward to me because it immediately felt so good. Ah, uh, okay. Like it immediately was like, oh, I can breathe. I mean, I'm an, sort of an anxious person. So I think I was probably always like, breathing really shallowly. So it was like, oh, okay. I can, I can really feel like I can actually extend my breath instead yeah. of just hoping that I can. Okay. I have no idea how to say this one. Anacles. At what point would it's you... Anacles. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> At what point would you introduce the more sophisticated actions of the arms and shoulder blades in Down Dog? Ooh. Two words that Jason Corona loves. Shoulder blades. <laughs> <laughs> and scap you love. <laughs> well... It depends. So one of the things that I advocate for, and really I've talked about this in lots of classes, and I know at least on one podcast, this is kind of something I really learned from you when you were my editor and I was first writing for Yoga Journal, the basics column, which is if you try to teach too many things in one setting, you teach nothing. And so one of the biggest mistakes that we make on every level is trying to teach too many different things. And we try to teach too many different things to beginners when either we don't understand how people actually learn, that's common, or number two, when we're afraid that students are going to hurt themselves. And we just have to remember like students, uh, this, this is going to be uproarious, but students just aren't made of glass. They're not. Like most injuries that happen in yoga are long-term repetitive stress injuries and overstretch injuries. They're not basic misalignment errors. So most new students aren't doing yoga enough to create a repetitive stress disorder. And then also most new students aren't trying so hard that their misalignment errors are going to produce an amount of stress that's going to incur an injury, mm -hmm. right? So don't get me wrong, we need to teach technique, but the point is 
when we're working with beginners, we think like, oh my God, I got to tell them everything there is to know about each one of these poses, or they're going to break their elbow into seven pieces and never do yoga again. And it's just like, that's not the reality of how a body works. So what I do on every level, including beginners, is I try to bring in every class a level, like a specific teaching objective. So I might say in class, like this is beginner's class, okay? Okay, everyone, welcome to Jason's beginner's class. We're gonna do a little bit of everything. You're gonna move, you're gonna breathe, you're gonna stretch, you're gonna feel strong, you can do all this good yoga stuff. And there's a specific thing or two that I want to really teach you. So I'm gonna teach you specifically how to use your arm, your shoulder blades when the arms go overhead today. I believe it's Pacifically. 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 <laughs> Watching an Australian <laughs> comedy where they say Pacifically. Pacifically. Yeah. So the point is, is like, if in every beginner's class, I tell you in down dog, what to align your middle finger with and how to align your wrists and how to align your elbow creases and what rotation to do with the upper arms and then what to do with the shoulder and then what to do with the spine. You see where I'm going with this. It, nothing is going to be absorbed. But if I just say, look, I'm going to help you as much as I can, but there's really one thing about this pose and everything like this pose where we reach the arms overhead and you're going to get it from this class today, then that is something that I would teach right away. Hmm. I would be like, all right, we're going to do a little of everything and we're really going to focus on how the scapula works when the arm goes overhead because most people, even advanced teachers, don't actually, they're saying it wrong. Mm -hmm. So let's be really clear about how to teach what goes up in the shoulder and what goes down in the shoulder when the arm goes overhead. Mm -hmm. And then you would repeat that throughout. Then one of the things that this is kind of a really important principle of teaching, at least teaching a physical thing or coaching a physical thing, which is it's really difficult to learn a technique in a difficult situation to learn that technique in. So for example, like it's really difficult to learn what to do with your shoulder blade in down dog because it's a difficult pose for a new student. But if you just stand up and reach the arm overhead, the arm is in the exact same position it's in in down dog, but it's not underweight. And you can stay in Tadasana with the arms reaching overhead for a long period of time. You can do lunges with the arms reaching overhead. You can do tree posts with the arms reaching overhead. You can do lunge, crescent lunge. And in those poses, you can teach what the shoulder blades do in down dog because you're in the exact same position for the shoulders, but just without stress. And then you apply that to down dog. Mm -hmm. You say, no, we've, been, we've been looking at this thing. Here's the thing I want you to, I want you to know what to do with the shoulder blades in down dog. But if you're new to yoga, down dog's too hard to learn that thing in. So let me expose it to you first in all of these other poses where the arm's doing the same thing, but it's unloaded. And then actually learn that neuromuscular pattern and then just do your best to do that when you're in down dog. Hmm. It's this basic, like it's basic education. If I want to teach someone to how to use their fingers to balance and handstand, then if I start to teach them in handstand, it's too late. I have to teach. They already have to have a reference point. They have to know what to do 
before they do that thing. Mm. It's it's like if you didn't know how to play individual notes, you can't actually play a song. So if you try to play a song without learning individual notes, you're doing it all wrong. And that's just the that's a way in as yoga we can become better educators. So right away, yeah. it, it depends. Yeah. Okay. I like that one. And damn um, it, that's almost a stump speech for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think the way that a lot of us are trying to teach is not, doesn't really factor in actual basic teaching skill as much as we can. Well, it's like we overcomplicate things because once you, it's so hard once you've advanced to a certain level to go back and remember what it's like to be a beginner. So it's like, we know when we're in down dog, what it means to, I don't know. I'm, I'm like shine the elbow creases forward. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, um, right. But yeah, but when you're first starting yoga and you're basically upside down and you're thinking about parts of your body that you never even think about, it's totally confusing. It's too late. Yeah. It's not the right context. It's like practice versus competition. Like you actually have to break things down and learn those things. So when you're presented with a more difficult situation to enact those things, you have an understanding for it. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we have to teach. Yep. Yep. That's how I would like for us to teach. That's mm-hmm. how I teach. Okay. Okay. Last question. Chloe, I would love to hear more about sequencing for beginners when teaching vinyasa flow. I notice that students often find it difficult to keep up with the postures, the cues, the transitions, and the breathing, even though I teach quite a slow vinyasa flow. I'd love to hear your thoughts in general on how to manage all that and stop it from being overwhelming. It's a whole different ballgame of teaching technique to teaching something very slow like yin yoga. I kind of think about it like this. It's kind of like looking at a photograph versus watching a film. If you're looking at a photograph, you it's like there's more time to like look at all the little details and describe it and get to know it. <clears throat> if you're looking at something that's moving, it's a more dynamic thing. So if I was if you were teaching actions in a more static practice, she's spot on. It's easier because you aren't dealing with the number of things that are happening, right? They're in a place for a while and you can teach that thing for a while. When someone is moving, or when you have a group of people that are moving, it's much more difficult because A, they're not in one position long enough to instruct that position, and B, you have to work with timing. So a couple things specifically with regards to sequencing and beginners. Have I mentioned that I have launched a course? Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, and, and where, where can I get that course? On glow.com. <laughs> And because we break this down in pretty extensively and there's a lot of elements that I talk about, but essentially when you're working with beginners, even if you're doing something like that isn't fast, it still might be too much to take in at once. So I think when you work with beginners, it's best to segment the vinyasa part and the not vinyasa part. It's really difficult I would I said this a lot with our group, right? Is that the world that I come from, I have the Ashtanga background where they're really good at moving, but the discernment of individual actions within postures isn't as developed because that's not the focus of that methodology. On the other hand, I also have kind of that background of the Iyengar world where 
I wouldn't go to an Iyengar class to get my flow on in the same way that I wouldn't go to an Ashtanga class to really get as deep into the finer points of the technical elements of asana postures, right? So we have this modern vinyasa setting where we're trying to combine these a lot, right? Where we want both. Or I want both. We want the technical stuff for safety and for effectiveness and efficiency, but we also want the flow because it's nice to move. But the reality is it's really hard to do those two things at the same time, mm-hmm. especially when you're working with a group of beginners. So my approach to it is always just straight up let students know, I want to teach you technique and I also want you to breathe and move. Over time, you're going to learn to be able to do these things simultaneously. But for now, I can't give you too many different things to juggle or you're not going to learn anything. So we'll have kind of a flowy part and I'm going to give you just enough information that you're in the ballpark and then... We're going to stop that flowy part and we'll work on our standing poses and whatever. And then we'll be in those individual poses for long enough that we can actually get a little bit more in greater detail with the individual elements of the postures. Okay. Does that make sense? I think so. So they flow, but then you break it down. Yeah. So essentially I just, I just say like, look, we're going to have this whole class is going to be broken into phases. Okay. And, and I do this in all of my classes, but in my non-beginners classes, everything melds together differently. So let me give you a real-time scenario, okay? So let's go back to the how to use the shoulder blade when the arm goes overhead in down dog. So I will tell everyone, when the arm goes overhead that the scapula is in lateral rotation and the ball and socket is in flexion. That means that much of the shoulder is elevating when the arm goes overhead. The shoulder is actually not pulling down when the arm goes up. That's not what happens. The outer border of the shoulder blade is lifting. The inner border of the scapula is descending. So I might come into a class, even a beginner's class, and be like, you guys, this might seem a little technical, this might seem a little heavy, but we do down dog a ton, and your shoulders are really important. So we're going to have an all-around practice today, as always, but I really want you to understand how your shoulders work in down dog. People are going to tell you to pull your shoulders down. You're not. Most of your shoulders, you're actually lifting up. One part of your shoulders, you're pulling down. Let me show you real quick then that's literally going to take me no more than 30 seconds. Then I'll say, okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to spend the next 10 or 15 minutes just getting on our bodies and kind of playing with those techniques. We're going to stretch our shoulders. We'll engage our core a little bit. And we'll just do some nice, simple movement and poses where we start to feel how, how to work this individual element. Then after we do that, I'm going to say, forget this stuff for now. Let's just move and breathe for a while. Let's spend, let's spend 30 minutes after that just doing simple vinyasa patterns, simple flow patterns. That's not going to include chaturanga and all these things, but it's just going to be simple f- breath and movement. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to work on standing poses, and I'm going to teach you in those standing poses what to do with your shoulder blades. And then I'm going to teach you at the very end downward facing dog again, and you're going to know what to do with the shoulder blades by then. 
So I break it up. So I segment it more. I kind of break it into more like this is movement time. This is technique time. This is like, let's tune our instrument and play our scales time. And then let's like get into the music for a little while time. Because I think when we try to make it everything happen at once for beginners, they don't learn much and they don't make good progress. And then what's going to happen is they just either be like, oh, yoga's not for me. Or they throw themselves into the fire of like power flow 12 class and get decimated and maybe survive it, but survive with horrible technique. Yeah. And for me as a teacher, like I just can't abide in it, you know? And I, and I, here's the thing is like, you know me better than anyone. Like I am not the most glasses half full kind of person. That's just not my, I wish it was like, I wish that was my personality and it's not. But I have to, I'm a teacher. And so I have to treat my students as learners. I have to. Hmm. I have to. And then someone that doesn't want a methodical, systematic technique, they, they can find someone else. Yeah, they'll find their teacher. They'll find their, they'll find their teacher. Yeah. And hopefully that teacher and them, that, that hopefully that will work well. But segment it. So again, the point I'm trying to make sure we get clear is I think, who is it? Chloe, mm -hmm. I think Chloe's asking like the super important, really common question. It's just, even if you go at a slow flow pace, it still is, might be too much for someone to learn something. So you got to pick and choose your battles. What are you trying to teach today? Mm -hmm. Give them some poses and reinforce that thing without thinking that they're made of glass and you have to tell them a little bit about everything else. And then at another time, like get, let them get movement, mm -hmm. you know, and then over time, these things come together. It all comes together. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Cool. That's my experiment now. It's all just, it's all an experiment. Last thing I'll say is like, I've been saying with this group a lot, like I actually really think technology, I think technique should always be improving. I think asana technique, I don't think we should be memorizing asana technique. I think we should be understanding what we're trying to do in our practice and how bodies and minds and hearts work and then work, work intelligently from there. And then same thing as teachers, right? Like I don't have a degree in education, but I've been an educator for a long time and I never want to feel useless, right? Like I put so much time and heart into teaching. So I want to feel like not only do I know things, but that I'm continuing to get better at learning how people learn and what is effective teaching technique in this environment? And the one thing I know over time is if you try to teach too many things in a class, it doesn't work. Yeah. And, and it requires not being insecure about whether or not you're doing enough. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is like. It, We're boring them or. Well, the last example on this is if I. I've been saying this to this group a lot, which is if I just rely, if I feel like I have to tell you a little bit like that sprinkling of instructions in warrior one, right? I got to give you a sprinkling of instructions in warrior one and a sprinkling of instructions in warrior two and a sprinkling, then I'm always going to give you the same sprinkling that never, that never gives me or you the opportunity to go into deeper, more nuanced, higher level details. And you just keep saying and hearing the same basic elements of the same postures. 
instead of actually refining yourself and understanding the shoulders don't pull down when the arms go overhead. Part of the shoulder pulls down when the arms go overhead, part of the shoulder lifts up. Like that's a very basic thing, but you can do yoga for a decade. You can teach yoga for a decade and not like not split that one basic atom because we were so stuck in giving us a sprinkling of things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. instead of actually saying, no, 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 don't worry about the rest of the body right now. Let's look at this one thing in a little bit greater detail. Let's tune this up. Let's actually learn it so that, so that we assimilate the skill and then our students actually learn quicker than we did. Yeah. All of our students should learn quicker than we did. I never heard you say that before. I, I don't know if I've ever said it before. <laughs> no, because as teachers, so here's the thing. If, if teachers are actually learning over time to improve their techniques, then students will learn quicker than we did. I mean, I can, yeah. That's just kind of the, all, all things being equal. Yeah, no, I like I mean. that. I like that because I mean, I, some of what you're talking about makes me think about Mr. Angar and just how g great he was as an educator and um, if you, that he probably really, um, I mean, the, the practice of teaching transformed because of him. A thousand percent. Like, I mean, just radically. It's just like affects, even if you've never taken an Iyengar class, it still affects everything that we do here in the West. Like, like just having the back foot in a place where the ankle's not about to break. Yeah. <laughs> in Warrior One. Yeah, and, or grabbing a rectangle of hope. Yes. Yeah. And he's not the only one. There's been count there's been sure, right. Sure. There's been countless known and unknown people that have done that. But over the eras, we should not only be like doing more things, we should be improving our technical understanding of what works and what doesn't work. And then as teachers, we should be improving our understanding of what works and what doesn't work. And therefore we can be going kind of further in these art forms instead of just kind of not. You know how I'm very hard on myself as a parent? I know a few ways. Would you like to share one? <laughs> no, I'm not going to go into the details. Oh, I'm just oh, saying. Oh, 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 oh. You meant like not I, specifically how are you hard on yourself, but that you are hard That on. I am hard on myself yeah. as a parent is yes. because I believe the same thing about parenting. I think I'm starting to maybe let go of that a little bit, but I think when I became a parent, I thought that like I, every generation wants to do it better than their parents did it. Like right. everyone wants to teach their children better and, and do, a, do a better job. And now I'm like, hmm. So anyway, yeah. yes, I get it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Later. Thanks as always for listening. I'll put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 141. And if you haven't, go back and listen to the beginner series. I've heard from a lot of people how useful it was, even if they weren't a yoga teacher, just to go back and go back into that beginner's mind experience. Okay, everyone, until next week, enjoy your practice. <laughs> <laughs>